This episode of Behind the Bots is brought to you by FingerTech Robotics, North America's top manufacturer of combat robotics parts. If you're interested in building your first combat robot, check out FingerTech's Viper Kit, which includes everything you need to build a fully functional, competitive ant weight. FingerTech also carries a complete line of wheels, hubs, motors, and other components if you want to build a bot from the ground up. Check them out online at www.fingertechrobotics.com. From the Oh No Plateau, where the rules are made up and the points don't matter, this is Behind the Bots, the podcast that brings you the stories of the builders behind BattleBots. I'm Chris. I'm Luke. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Kyle. And today on the podcast, our interview with Greg Gibson and James Arluck from Yeti. We'll wrap up the show with this week's installment of Robots Around the World. If you like our show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, CastBox, Player FM, and Podbean. You can follow us on Facebook at Behind the Bots and tell a friend. We really appreciate your support. Time for this week's Combat Robotics News. I have five news items for you today. First up, sad news out of California, where the organizers of BuildersDB.com have announced they plan to shut down the website for good on April 30th. BuildersDB initially launched in 2002 and served as an important hub for combat robotics competitions, with teams listing the robots in wiki-style pages and event organizers using BuildersDB to handle event registration and promotion. The site was built by IceWave Captain Mark DeWitz, who writes, quote, We appreciate your continued support throughout the years, and we hope that the site has been a source of knowledge and discovery for new and veteran builders. In happier news, we're next headed to Massachusetts, where the team behind Bloodsport is auctioning off battle damage parts on eBay and donating 50% of the proceeds to Engineers Without Borders. The auction includes a wedgelet, a wedgelet mount, two battle-damaged autograph wheels, and a brown and sharp flange micrometer. It wasn't immediately clear if the micrometer was also being autographed, but I certainly hope that it does. Speaking of super powerful spinners, Bots FC this week confirmed that they are again applying to BattleBots with their powerful vertical disc spinner, Emulsifier. Team member Matt Boras built a 30-pound version of Emulsifier, which ripped through the competition at Motorama and Norwalk Havoc, most recently taking home second place at the 2021 Norwalk Havoc Championship. This is the third time that the team has applied with Emulsifier. It was initially accepted for the 2020 season of BattleBots, but rejected in 2021 because BattleBots wanted to see a more unique silhouette on the bot. This year, they went back to the drawing board and applied with a gorgeous red, yellow, and orange colorway with bright red tank treads and its signature vertical spinner. We are huge fans of Emulsifier here on this show, and we would love to see it on BattleBots. Uh, I wanted to pause here. Did you guys catch the Emulsifier um, like application video, kind of its sizzle, sizzle reel? I uh, just, I don't know, uh, selfishly, I love how much of our voices are in that application video. You, you know what I mean? I have not seen this yet. I want to go check this out right now. Hold on. This is uh, news to me. All right. We're, we're going we're gonna to pause this. It's going to sound totally seamless through the magic of editing. But Kyle's going to come right back after hearing his voice on the Emulsifier uh, video. 
My question is, if your voices were used in the application video for BattleBots, does that automatically make you members of the team? I feel like we, we could make a pretty good case for that. You know, um, as you know, uh, Greg Munson and Trey Roski and Aaron Catling, they're huge fans of us. So, you know, putting putting our voices, our excited voices into uh, the Emulsifier application, one of the smartest things that Bots FC could possibly do because, you know, they love us. Um, you guys should actually lend your voices to spice up people's application videos. I, yeah, I like it. So like Banshee, Doomba, we could just be like, oh my God. You're like, oh my God, Kyle. Kyle. Look at Banshee. It's amazing. It's the most gorgeous robot I've ever seen. Huge hit. Got it. <laughs> you should do that. I mean, I already do romance novels. <laughs> That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> I, that's what I, I was told I had a voice for, you know. Kyle, what did you think about the video? I thought it was very well edited. I thought it was very well done. Exactly what you expect from the Bots FC folks. Um, they just, you know, they, they do good work. Like as far as their promotion goes and as far as their the quality of their content goes, it's always solid with them. And uh, I liked the video. I did like how... Norwalk heavy it was. I think that uh, it's always cool when BattleBots like acknowledges the other competitions in the world, and you know, kind of helps build a larger universe for robot combat, if you will. Um, and so, I really hope this team gets in just based on that. And uh, yeah, obviously, Bots FC wants to come in with something that hits hard, and I think that that makes sense. You know, that's something that I think we've been hearing from a lot of teams with uh, non-spinner weapons that they want to give the spinner a try. They want to give it a shot, see what it's like. So, makes sense. I'll I'll say very quickly before we move on from the story that I really love the design ethos that is emerging around Bots FC. I think that you could see that in their first season. It's definitely on display in this season. And now with this third season of bots fc competing on BattleBots, this this just pedigree of gorgeous robots that work hard-hitting robots that kind of challenge the the meta and really stretch what's possible i think it's just really cool to see a tank tread robot on BattleBots would be amazing and emulsifier is just such a tough tough robot it's gorgeous. I think the fans are going to love it. It already looks like a hex bug. Um, I, I think that this this is an absolutely strong yes for me if I was on the selection committee. Yeah, they make beautiful bots for sure. Um, there has been how many two two other tank trade robots that I can remember so far in BattleBot. Oh no, three. I forgot about that weird one. Uh, but the most famous, of course, season one Bite Force. Mm, okay. Yeah, that's true. Their tank treads had magnets. Their tank treads had magnets. It was weird. It was kind of cool. Um, all right. Well, best best of luck to Bots FC and the application. And uh, really looking forward to seeing uh, Emulsifier in Season 7. Meanwhile, Plushies took center stage this week after Rusty Captain Dave Eaton brought a perfect fan-made replica of Rusty with him to the Battle Box for his match against Witch Doctor this past week. The plushie was made by hand by Rusty fan Jennifer Campbell, who completed it before filming last year. Now, if you're interested in buying your own Rusty plushie, the team says it will make a plushie-related merch announcement this Friday at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time. It's mysterious. It's interesting. I love it. 
I'm certainly hoping that they're going to open up plushy sales or else uh, this kind of cryptic tweet that they sent out is, uh, I don't know. Who knows? I certainly don't know what, what they're going to be announcing on Friday. So we'll have to stay tuned. And finally, speaking of Rusty, Mike and Andrea Galately this week revealed they took home the ultimate battle prize after their fight with Rusty, an autographed caved-in metal salad bowl from atop Rusty's head. They write, quote, this one will hold a special place in our collection. And that's it for this week's news. Now, before we get into our interview with Greg and James, it's time yet again for Snap Decisions, where we make ill-informed predictions about this week's fight card and score them against your ill-informed predictions. Last week, we had 97 people participate in Snap Decisions. Five people managed to call seven out of seven Fight Night fights correctly. Those people were Jethro Tull, Josh Kubiak, Mark Kandesiak, Michael Weiss, and Tom Brisbane. The easiest fight to call last week was Witch Doctor versus Rusty, with 96 out of 97 people correctly predicting that Witch Doctor would win. The biggest upset was the main event, with just 39 out of 97 people predicting that Ice Wave would win. Now, before we get into this week's predictions and talk about the round of 32 bracket, I want to take a pause here and get your thoughts on episode 10, our final set of qualifying matches before the round of 32. In this episode, we saw a claw viper that refused to die, a near roofing by Mad Catter, switchback go weapon on weapon with huge, big hits from Glitch, another weird instant classic match from Mammoth, Rusty Appreciation Hour, Fusion going up in smoke, and the round of 32 seating revealed. I would love to get your thoughts, Kyle, Chris, Lindsay, on episode 10. There were some there were some intense fights in this uh in this episode. I was man, was on was on the edge for maybe three or four different uh it looked like the the, the changing of the tides uh between switchback and huge. Uh, you know, uh, huge was definitely kind of capitalizing, you know, was was doing huge's thing, but like if you if you if you look closely for like the second half of that match, it looked like one of their wheels were were certainly binding up, and I was like I was so nervous that Switchback was gonna you know kind of jump on top of that and uh, and remove Huge from the round of thirty two. I would have been I would have been shattered. I don't know what I would have done. Uh, uh, seeing Glitch uh, keep you know trudging on like this, uh, definitely Rookie of the Year potential right there. That is uh, that is a cool team. I really really like the bot. Um, and, oh man, I was, I felt, uh, maybe worse than maybe at, at any point I had really felt this season, seeing Mammoth kind of lose that one wheel, uh, getting popped right off by Lucky. Uh, you know, it was, uh, you saw it on Ricky's face. It was, it was hard. Um, you know, they, uh, they, uh, they had to do a lot of work to get to the, uh, to the show this year and just to, to, to lose it, uh, that quickly, you know, um, it was there was just no coming back from that when you got a two-wheel drive and you have a big wonky bot it it was that was awful to watch yeah 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 so i agree it was really hard to watch that fight for mammoth but i got to say uh seeing the huge win was pretty sweet i did see uh later on that apparently they could still move with that wheel they could still do controlled movement some of the like you know there was some controversy with some some internet people about um you know shouldn't they have been counted out too uh, and while I agree the countouts have been pretty inconsistent this season, this is not a case of that. They were moving just fine. They just, you know. Yeah, I agree. I mean, they were definitely having some drive issues through that one wheel, but to say that they uh, that they couldn't demonstrate the type of movement that would keep the mo- match moving forward, that's that's not accurate. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, it was a good episode all the way around. I will say 
congratulations to Rampage for being in the best highlight reel shot literally ever on BattleBots, I think, with the possible exception of uh, the complete and utter decimation of Ghost Raptor. Um, and also, good job to those kids, man. Like, that, that bot is a massive improvement over what they built last year. They would not have been able to take one, if not, you know, two of those hits last year. Um, so I'm, I'm pretty proud of them. I hope that they, uh, keep at it. Cause you know, it's cool to see family teams coming out there with stuff they make at home, stuff that's accessible. And, um, you know, it was good. It was a good time. Um, I've said this before and I'll say it again. Rampage is my barometer for how BattleBots production is doing. Um, Rampage, when, when you learn that family story, it is so incredibly compelling. It is an emotional story. There are emotional stakes related to the, to the bot. And BattleBots has not captured that story in a way that gets the fans to love Rampage. I don't think there are a lot of Rampage fans out there just from regular kind of mouth breathers who are watching Discovery wow. Channel on cable and just sitting through all the ads, right? Um, you have to be a pretty hardcore fan to like know the Rampage family story. And, um, you know, like they, like BattleBots needs to send a production crew down to Florida to like hear, hear the whole story about how they lost their, their house in, in like a, um, in a hurricane, how the kids all fight and build robots together, how they're just putting robots together in their garage, um, just for fun. Um, like the the Knox family is really really amazing, and that they just have this completely winless record, and they get relegated to YouTube is just a shame. So, like I will say, continuing, you know, uh, going forward, like the day that we see the Rampage story get told really well is the day that you know, I don't know. They're 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 my barometer for for bad about storytelling. Yeah, that's a solid point. They are so compelling. I like them so much. Uh, the family is so like adorable that they each all of the brothers and sisters have different rule like roles on the team. The youngest family members know how to respool motors like that's ridiculous and awesome. Um, yeah, super cool people. I think that you're right. That would be awesome for them for us to see them a little bit better. So is it time to talk about the the round, the round of 34? <laughs> Yeah, 34 people have advanced, and I guess we're having like a little four-person um, Desperado tournament. You know, like, I, I know that we've done the round of 32 now for several years, but I kind of miss doing the round of 16 and putting in a Desperado tournament, like a proper one, um, just because it is shocking the number of robots that only got two fights in the in the, the preseason or, I don't know, the, the qualifying rounds. I, I am convinced, listen, I'm not a BattleBots matchmaker, but I'm convinced that I could devise two matches where BattleBots, uh, where, where, you know, like a top-ranked bot, like Endgame, Bite Force, you know, um, goes one and one, you know? Like it, uh, two fights almost tells you nothing, you know? Um, and I could, I could, I could devise uh, two matches where... I don't know what's what's the triple crown goes two and zero. You know what I mean? Um, like just two fights. It's it's too small of a sample size to really even come up with a meaningful seating. So 
we, we had 18 robots here in the field that went with just two fights. So like we, we have to shove in another episode, you know, like at bare minimum, these robots, if they're working, should get three fights. Listen, I, as we know, am young and poorly educated. However, I, you're a, you're just a discovery channel watching mouth breather. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so, okay. Like, uh, I don't recall in previous years such big name bots only having two fights. I mean, there were, you know, maybe some rookie teams who didn't get all three, but I, I feel like by and large, teams, at least those who went on to compete in the round of 32, had three full fights. Correct me if I'm wrong. I very well could be. But where where did the time go? Because we had less bots competing this year. Um, and so you would think that then that would free up time to give each team three fights. So what exactly happened? I mean, I know that there is like a theory that because of, you know, the blackout during the first day that they, you know, had to cut out matches, they fell behind schedule. That's not true. They were able to push that day and and get all the fights in as scheduled. Um, so why are we not seeing three fights for, for all teams? I, and at the very least, like if you're going to have less fights, shouldn't there be more educational content or like interviews with the teams? I feel like we didn't get that either. So we got laser eyes. <laughs> yeah, we got a lot of slow-mo like uh, hero shots with laser eyes. We, we did get that. But like where did the time go that these bots like Hypershock were not able to get three full fights? I wish I knew. I wish I could tell you. I don't know. I mean, like, I I have now, listen, I have not been watching BattleBots as long as some super fans, but um, I, I could tell you back in my day, Pepperidge Farm remembers when we were getting four qualifying fights, like, in the season, and three fights was the anomaly, and, and, and we had a Desperado tournament, and it was like a much shorter kind of final final part of the season. I, I, I don't know, this obsession with the round of 32, like, it's it's wild to me i don't get it um like what so that we can have four weeks of of championships like cut it down to two weeks cut it down to three weeks like i don't think the fans really care that much but i don't know i don't know like um strength of schedule i thought for some of the seedings was interesting it seemed like battlebots started first with the record where it's like oh are you 3 and 0 okay great you're at the top of the the the, the seedings but if you're 2 and 0 i mean that's and that a 2 and 0 robot could be a 3 and 0 robot and and just battlebots chopped them off at the knees you know what i mean um and you take a look at some of the 3 and 0 robots they did not have as strong a strength of schedule as some of the 2 and 0 robots so it's odd, I would say. <laughs> but then again, also, like, kind of the, the giant, like, meta discussion, of course, is, like, BattleBots actually doesn't care what the seating is. Like, they will give you whatever seating that they need to to, like, build a storyline around you. Like, how did Hypershock manage to go up against P1? It's because P1, like, lost their spot in the top 32 last year, and now they're going to be fighting Hypershock for it. And, like, you cannot tell me that that is some kind of random matchup. Like, they definitely moved moved some robots around up or down uh, wherever they needed to so they can see that matchup in the round of 32. So, you know, I don't know. Sawblaze's uh, Saw path to victory 
Sawblaze's path to victory would have him going through every bot that he's ever lost against. Yeah, I I did see Caleb Kempson post his um his predictions and he found that out. Like depending on how things shake out, uh Sawblaze will end up fighting Endgame, Uppercut, and Tantrum. So it's like it's interesting how that shaked out. Um and it's I don't know. Every time I find myself like getting emotionally involved or having like a strong emotional response to something that I feel is right or wrong and often wrong, like I have to keep reminding myself that I want to think of BattleBots as a sport, um, but it's not. It's a television show. There are discovery, you know, producers and executives who are, you know, having their say at the at the end of who's getting in, who's fighting who. Um, it's not uh, solely on merit. We, we know that. And I have to, like, divorce myself of this feeling that, like, there should be rules adhered to when it comes to seating because there are no rules. It's literally, it's just a reality television show that is here to make a select number of people money and... Uh, and you know the bots are are the means to the end, and uh, it's that's, still fun to watch. It's still fun to watch, of course, and I love it so much. I mean, that's what we talk about thirty percent of our day. But like, I I have to like control my emotional responses because at the end of the day, it's not a sport; it's a television show. It's a television show for the Discovery Channel mouth breathers, Lindsay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm one of them, so hey. I, <laughs> By the way, if you take personal offense to Luke's comment about mouth breathing and listen and watching the Discovery Channel, please get out of my DMs and I'll I'll send you his uh, his mailing address. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, now that we've entered the Valley of Despair, uh, Lindsay, what did you want to say? Something else? I guess just to wrap it up, like it is a television show, but to the people participating in the show, the builders and all of the teams, it's not a television show to them. It is a sport. It is what they're passionate about. And then I get mad all over again, thinking about how some of the, how some of these things just aren't fair to them. Um, And because they are the ones, you know, who sacrifice so much to participate. So it's really just a cycle. Um, of uh you know thinking <laughs> about this uh and i end up at different uh parts of the cycle uh depending on the time of day so yeah all right well good we we caught you in the desperation kind of part of the cycle that's that's great i listen i i go there on a regular basis too so uh anyway um all that said uh, really really very well said Lindsay. um let's jump into thursday night spites um now we don't know what order they are going to be fill, uh, like televised in, um, but we do know that out of the nine fights that are happening on Thursday, two of them will just be highlights and we'll see the full fight as a bonus fight on YouTube. So um, they are not nine incredibly strong fights. It looks like it's going to be seven very strong fights and two kind of squash matches. I won't reveal which two those kind of special fights are. You will uh, find out for yourself when uh, BattleBots announces it on Thursday. Um, okay, uh, let's get into uh, the, let's see, the number 32 seed fight here. Um, the play-in round, Scorpios versus Malice, a little friend-on-friend action as Malice Captain Bunny Sariel is very good friends with Zach and Diana from Scorpios. Kyle, your prediction here, Scorpios versus Malice. 
This is going to be so much fun. What a great play-in match. I'm really glad they set this one up. Uh, I think it's going to go to Scorpios, but I think everybody's going to win because this is going to be a fun fight. Cool people, cool teams, fun fight. Yeah. Nice. Lindsay, your prediction. Amen to all of the above. Scorpios for the win. Okay. And Chris, take us home. Uh, Mega three. Okay, three predictions for Scorpios. Um, all right, whoever wins there, which I guess I don't know the three of you think it's going to be Scorpios, will go on to face the number one seed, Endgame. So I guess in this case, uh, Endgame versus Scorpios. Uh, Lindsay, your prediction here. Yikes. You know, I actually can see a world in which Scorpios does beat Endgame. Um, I think I'd have to be pretty bold to say that Scorpios wins that match, but I do see a path. Uh, but I, you know, am a, uh, there are a lot, a lot of stakes on the line for this. So I'm going to have to go with the safe choice and say end game. Okay. Kyle, your prediction in this match. In the words of my dear son, Hudson, he would say end game will end the game. Good. All right, Hudson. Thank you. Um, Chris, will Endgame end the game, or are you going to go with Scorpios? Uh, yeah, Scorpios is having a great season. I mean, the bot looks great. Uh, it's Endgame. Okay, three for Endgame. Chris, let's stick with you for the next fight of the night. Number 16 seed Minotaur versus number 17 seed Bloodsport. I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well... It sucks for Minotaur. Um, Bloodsport's kind of designed to fight chonky bricks, and Minotaur is a chonky brick. Um, I'd imagine that Bloodsport will bring out that kind of uh, that kind of long-reaching bar configuration, and will likely be able to clip, uh, you know, the side of Minotaur's drum housing. I- I'm gonna have to give this one to Bloodsport, but good God, I hope Minotaur wins. I really, I just, okay. it, isn't it time? Isn't it time? I, I just I don't want to see Minotaur I don't want to see Minotaur knocked out. I want to see them taste victory. They've been in the sport for so long. They've they're they're old school. I love the bot. It's awesome. They have so much energy. And of course this year, you know, uh my heart goes out to them. So I you know, unfortunately I'm just I'm gonna I see blood sport in this rock, paper, scissors. Okay. Lindsay, your prediction here. I think that Menator may be able to get in a quick hit before Bloodsport is fully spun up. And if they're able to do that off the get-go, they're going to have a really good shot at dictating the pace of the, of the match. I'm going Minotaur. Call me crazy. Okay, very good. Call me poorly educated. <laughs> Kyle, uh, will you be going with Minotaur or with Bloodsport for this match? Yeah, um, this is going to be a tough one, but I'm going to go ahead and say Minotaur. Uh, no particular reason. They've just they've been able to handle horizontal spinners pretty well in the past, and I think they've got this one. Okay, good. Uh, Kyle, let's stick with you for the next fight of the night. Number eight. I, this, I don't know if we can let this go on. Hold on, hold on. The biggest Minotaur fan on the podcast, the biggest Minotaur fan on the podcast is the only one that said Bloodsport. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, you have a lot of faith in your favorite team. The only reason that Tombstone beat Minotaur in season three is because they chunked up that piece of the floor and high-centered Minotaur on it. Otherwise, Minotaur would have had that match. I'd say they could beat Horizontal Spinners. It ain't no thing. Chris, does this mean you're going to be changing your vote from Bloodsport to Minotaur? Yes. 
Oh, good. Okay. All right. Uh, Kyle, let's stick with you for the uh, for the next fight of the night. Number eight seed Copperhead versus a very zippy, mobile, and well-driven number 25 seed Lucky. Your prediction here. This is going to be so much fun. Uh, yeah, this is going to have to go to uh, Copperhead. I just, the instant they try to launch that lifter, into that weapon that weapon the lifter goes away it's gone now or launcher i should say the launcher is gone now and they will have a very hard time winning the fight from that point on um so that is my prediction there okay uh chris what is your prediction here copperhead versus lucky uh copperhead is just such a nasty bot i'm gonna give it to him okay and Lindsay, your prediction you know we have voted in lockstep for every single match so far that I'm tempted to say lucky, but I'm not because I do believe this one is going to Copperhead. Okay. So far. But good on lucky because this was probably their best season and they were really impressive. So, you know, way to go to lucky. Yes, definitely. I mean, listen, and don't don't write their eulogy too early. I mean, um, <clears throat> the the driving skill on, on Lucky is pretty incredible, and I'm really looking forward to seeing this as a driving match on Thursday. Um, now, so far, you've also, everyone, chosen the higher-seeded bot. So let's see for this next match if you're going to stick with that. Lindsay, let's, uh, let's stick with you for the next fight. Number nine seed Glitch versus number 24 seed Witch Doctor. This is freaking hard. I mean, Glitch is on a tear. They have taken down a giant already. There's no reason to think that they couldn't take down Witch Doctor. But I'm going to give this to Witch Doctor based on their experience. And Mike Galately is driving. And they've had now all season to kind of learn from Glitch's um, tactics and driving style. And I think Mike Galately is really able to kind of adapt to that on the fly. So I'm going with the experience over beauty here. But also, way to go, Glitch. <laughs> Kyle, uh, your your prediction here, Glitch versus Witch Doctor. Yeah, I agree with everything Lindsay just said, man. Like, Glitch has had the greatest rookie season ever, and if you end up going out to Witch Doctor in the round of 32 in your first ever BattleBots tournament, that's a win. Like, that's a great start to your robot fighting career. That's awesome. These kids are great. Um, I've heard anecdotally that they uh, are also just really, really good in the pits, too. Like, they look like they, they aren't getting anything done, but then all of a sudden the bot's ready to go and it's out the door and they're, like, awesome. Um, so, yeah, they've this is a team to watch, clearly. And uh, I'm really excited to see this fight. Okay. Uh, Chris, your prediction. Glitch versus Witch Doctor. Um, my prediction would be that if the Glatelys actually stop what they're doing and help Glitch get ready for the match, that Glitch is going to win. <laughs> However, I don't anticipate that happening in the round of 32, and I'm going to go with a very, very resilient bot that has tons and tons of experience under its belt. I'll go with Witch Doctor. Okay. Chris, let's stick with you for the next fight of the night. Number four seed, Sawblaze, versus number 29 seed, Hijinx. I, um... I think for this fight, I smell uh, maybe some of the same kind of action that we saw uh, against uh, Sawblaze, Sawblaze and um, Son of um, I, I expect to see some of that manifold of hijinks maybe uh, sustain some, some pretty gnarly damage. I'm going to give this one to Sawblaze. 
Okay. Uh, Lindsay, your prediction. You know, this is interesting because a season or two ago when Sawblaze fought Tombstone, you know, fighting a, a horizontal spinner like that didn't go very well for them. Um, and so there's reason to believe they might have a hard time with hijinks. Um, I do think the maneuverability of Sawblaze is going to be in their favor. I think that there is maybe more for them to chew on with that little back tail if they can manage to get there. Um, I'm going to say Sawblaze, but I don't think that this is actually a, a slam dunk for them. So I'm a little, a little worried. I wouldn't say worried. I'm, a, I'm just a little anxious. Got it. Okay. Kyle. Hi, little anxious. I'm dad. Kyle, your prediction. Um, so normally I agree with Lindsay on almost every point. But uh, in this particular case, I think because, because Sawblaze tried its hardest and lost to Tombstone a few seasons ago, that means that any horizontal that faces Sawblaze again is... Uh, up a tree. They're just screwed. There's nothing you can do about it. They figured it out. They've cracked the code. So I'm giving this one to Sawblaze. I do think this match presents some interesting challenges for them. Um, and assuming they don't get accidentally caught in a slot and launched out of the arena, uh, they, they have a very, very, very good chance of winning this fight. Okay. Kyle, let's stick with you for the next fight of the night. Two of the best driven bots in the field. Number 13 seed Hypershock versus number 20 seed P1. It feels weird saying this ever, but Hypershock. <laughs> um, the, the bot's doing great this year. It looks like a champion. I, it's phenomenal. I Don't get me wrong. I love Brandon Zelensky. I love P1. I think that bot's great. Um, more hinge flippers in the world, of course, but uh, yeah, Hypershock. Okay. Lindsay, your prediction here in this fight. I got to keep things spicy here. We've agreed on every single match so far, so I'm going to throw in a little wrench, and I'm going to say P1. They might be able to get under Hypershock. I don't know. I, I'm not willing to know. Okay. Chris, your your prediction. Uh, I'm going to say Hypershock, and um, yeah, I, I think that... Uh, they're both very, very maneuverable bots. P1, awesome season. Really, really awesome season. But I think damage is going to be the determining factor in this fight. Okay. Chris, let's stick with you for the next fight. Number five seed, Uppercut, versus number 28 seed, Huge. I don't want to. I don't want <laughs> uh, I, I love both these bots. Um, uh, both of them have kind of, you know, redefined the sport in their own ways. Uh, uppercut, absolutely punishing bot, uh, you know, introduced uh, us for the very first time to the fister. Um, huge, of course, a very special place in my heart. I don't know exactly how this is going to play out, but it is going to be explosive. Um, I'm going to say that I think that this is going to be a huge fight, but I'm, I very well could be wrong. Uppercut has that kind of tactical advantage. You know, uh, it has great reach on that weapon. It's perfect and nimble to kind of get right in between those weapon to weapon. I don't know if huge can, can go head to head with uppercut, but I'm really hoping to see, uh, I'm really hoping to see some sparks fly. Okay, uh, one vote for Huge. Lindsay, your prediction, Uppercut versus Huge. Uh, neither bots are the most maneuverable. So 
I don't think that this is going to come to driving. Um, I think ultimately the weapons will have to go head to head. Um, and it's, I don't know, man. It's like you, you don't really ever see Huge's weapon die. Like it just keeps going. And uppercut, like you don't ever see it get to the point where <laughs> its weapon dies because it's already knocked out its opponent. So I, I just wonder in terms of like if this match does go, you know, two minutes or or three minutes, I think that it's in Huge's favor. Um, of course, the question is, well, is it going to be a one punch knockout like Uppercut normally has or what? But I'm going to say Huge and uh, it could be wrong very well because this is this is a very difficult one to judge despite, you know, the, the discrepancies and their seating, like how far apart they are. But. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Kyle, your prediction in this match. So um, this is, I guess, perhaps privileged information. I'm not so sure. But BattleBot supporters got a uh, an image of this fight um, where there is a very interesting weapon on Uppercut, something I don't think we've seen yet. It's very strange. It's very cool. I really like it. Um, another fun fact is like, this is the best huge we have ever seen this year, right? Like this version of huge spins up faster, um, drives a little bit better. It's got those really awesome Tigris wheels. Uh, if it were any other generically sized, you know, low to the ground, compact, uh, vertical spinner, I would give this to huge very easily, but uppercut can probably reach their body. And uh, those little like kind of chin protectors they had on the last fight are not going to be enough to save them from uppercut. So I'm going to have to give this to uppercut uh, begrudgingly. So because I always want huge to go deep in the tournament. I love the design. I love the bot. And how can you not like uh, Jonathan Schultz? He's just the coolest guy ever. So um, that said, this one's going to go to uppercut. Okay. Kyle, let's stick with you for the last uh, match on Thursday. The number 12 seed Shatter versus number 21 seed Riptide. Uh, this is a hard one. Um, I am going to give it to Riptide simply because uh, that weapon takes up a lot of surface area as far as like the the plan view or the, the top view of their Bacos. And it'll be very hard for Shatter to launch anywhere that's not going to also hit that weapon. And um, yeah, that will that will damage their weapon quite handily and make it harder for them to get hit. So I'm going Riptide. Okay. Lindsay, your prediction. Yeah, I'm uh, going to say Riptide. Okay. And Chris? This is, uh, this is probably uh, going to be... Um, yeah, this is probably going to be Riptide. I, I think that, uh, Shatter is kind of, it's, it's a, it's a great bot. It's very maneuverable, but it's, it has a hard time with those high energy weapons and losing, uh, you know, its primary weapon. Okay. 
well, that wraps up this week's edition of Snap Decisions. Look for our post on Facebook to send us your predictions. Really looking forward to the start of the round of 32 and the start of season six of BattleBots's uh, kind of march to the championship. Uh, looks like we have four more episodes left in the season. And, uh, and yeah, four weeks from now, we're going to crown a giant nut winner, which is pretty great. Um, so, uh, so yeah, send us in your predictions and uh, we will see how everybody does. Wait, 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 Luke. I have a question that you can actually answer. Okay. Because, uh, you know, you were, you, this is like around the time you were at the tournament, right? So you can't, you can't say anything now. Yes. But. Right. Correct. But uh, if you had to guess which of these fights they relegated to uh, highlights and then bonus YouTube content. What do you think we got? Okay, uh, Kyle, that's not a fair question because BattleBots already listed the two fights. Supporters know. So, listen, everybody who's listening to this show, I mean, if you listen to a BattleBots podcast every week and talk, to, like, hear us talk for two hours, you should certainly give BattleBots $5 a month, you know, and become a supporter. So you can know, uh, you know, all the secret stuff that we know. After the break, our interview with Greg Gibson and James Arluck, sponsored by MaxAms. This interview is brought to you by MaxAmps and the company's new exclusive line of combat robotics batteries called Max Combat. Max Combat battery packs are built in the U.S. and designed for both durability and performance for combat robotics. Max Combat batteries come with custom wraps, including your team's logo, internal hard skins for extra protection, puncture-resistant wire sleeves, and a custom metal Max box for charging and storage. Check out the Max Combat section at MaxAmps.com. This week on the podcast, we have a very special first-time guest, Yeti team members Greg Gibson and James Arluck. Yeti has been competing since Season 2 of the reboot when it entered as an alternate and went to have a breakout season, going all the way to the semifinals and losing to Tombstone in a rare judge's decision at that time period. Yeti has been known for its durability and aggressive driving. This season, Yeti has received a massive upgrade with the inclusion of Christian Carlberg to the team. Christian's design influence is apparent on every aspect of the new Yeti. The bot features sleek lines and curves. It's 20% smaller with a variable weapon motor, allowing for more precision driving. Yeti is the most successful returning bot this season. Several bots that sat last season out, largely due to COVID, uh, really struggled keeping up with the times and the level of competition this year. Yeti sits at 2-1 this season, going into the round of 32, uh, losing its first fight to Mad Catter. Uh, Yeti then went on to defeat Pain Train by knockout, and most recently, one of the best main events of all time, winning a close judge's decision against Scorpios. Uh, we're looking forward to talking to the team behind Yeti about all of this and more in the hour and ahead. Uh, so guys, welcome to the show. You're Great. Thanks for having us on. Um, so when we have multiple guests, we like to have you guys announce each other or introduce each other. Uh, so Greg, we'll start with you. Greg, can you please introduce James? Tell us about him. Tell us about what he does and um, what he does on the team. Well, James is uh, actually kind of the real brains behind Yeti, though he won't admit it. He's also the best driver on the team yet he refuses to drive so you see he's really just a hindrance to this whole thing uh, <laughs> james and i've been building robots for a long time so when i started designing yeti even you know he was on team rex but he still took some time to really help with the design and everything so he's been absolutely critical to everything yeti 
but not getting a whole lot of TV credit because that's not the way the show does things. So, Correct. Yes. Um, all right. So, James, can you go ahead and introduce Greg? Tell us about what he does, what he does on the team, and uh, how you guys know each other. Sure. So, Greg and I have been friends for about, what, 20 years now, ever since the first, right at the end of the Comedy Central seasons we met. Um, I'm one of the few people that's known him since before he had the beard. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so... Greg is the personality, the driving force, and the driving ability behind what makes Yeti great. Uh, Greg likes to say I'm the best driver. Greg is definitely the most exciting driver out there. Um, He goes and pushes the bot way harder than I would, possibly to the detriment of people like me in the pits, but that's a story for a little later in the podcast. (laughs) Fair enough. You're welcome. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit about what you guys do for a living. So Greg, you work for eTrack, um, and you, so you're listed on LinkedIn, right? As a, uh, you're, you're a, what is it? A lead surveyor. So what do you do for eTrack? What does eTrack do? Can you tell us a little bit about that, um, about that job? Yeah, it's, it's a hydrographic survey and LIDAR. So it's mostly ocean mapping, coastal, you know, mapping and things like that. So sometimes I get to do fun things like break out the uh, the big drone or the LiDAR system. A lot of times we're out on a boat with super high-end sonar and there's sort of a theme. I love everything ocean and saltwater. So I found a job where I could, you know, play with cool electronics uh, and tech stuff, but still be on the ocean. Gotcha. Um, and recently you moved from, well, recently, I guess it was what, last year, uh, you moved from Wasilla, Alaska to California. Um, so was that a change in job for them or did you just kind of get a different position with them? How did that work out? Yeah, roundabout to a different position. Um, so up in Alaska, you know, I, I moved up there from Northern California where, where I grew up. I moved up to Alaska because, you know, hunting, fishing, outdoors, everything, all everything I want to do, it's there. Uh, but I also work outside and what I didn't quite understand before moving up there is when it's frozen half the year, you don't really get to do a whole lot of your outdoor work. You can't really map the ocean when it's covered in ice. So we have to compress a year's worth of work into a summer, which is the same compressed season that all the fun things I want to do are happening. Yeah. So it ended up being the case is I'd work 80 to 100 hour weeks all summer and not really get to get out fishing, hunting, doing all the things I like. So after Six years of saying, all right, next year will be better. Next year will be better. It never really was better. So down here, I found myself a little different role. Uh, and, you know, I've got year-round activities and year-round work. It's a lot more balanced. And the mosquitoes are significantly smaller. Yeah, there's almost none here. It's amazing. <laughs> I can just go outside and barbecue. <laughs> oh, that's way better. That is way, way better. And James, you're a mechanical engineer for Panasonic Energy, uh, who develops lithium batteries for uh, electric vehicles, amongst other things. Can you tell us a little bit about what you do for them? Sure. Um, I've been up. I've just moved from Northern California to Reno, Nevada, about a year ago to take this job. Um, I work at the Tesla Panasonic Gigafactory. Uh, I'm part of the mechanical engineering group, working on design improvements and um, assembly improvements for the lithium batteries that go inside all of the Tesla Model 3 cars. That's awesome. That is awesome. Yeah, it's something I really wanted to get into. The EV market's exploding. I've been a fan of, you know, batteries and that technology. Um, I've been involved with since, you know, RC cars in the 90s where 
little tiny 1200 milliamp hour NICAD batteries all the way up to, you know, the huge capacity and currents that we're seeing now. So to be a part of that and be on the cutting edge of technology has been a dream of mine for a while. And it's awesome. All right. So, so James, we'll stick with you. What, what on earth put this very strange brain virus of combat robotics into your life? Uh, what, what got you involved in this sport? What got you involved in this obsession? How did this whole thing start for you? I can blame this on one person, um, almost 100%, and that's Jason Bardis. Uh, Jason <laughs> and I went to the same college. He was a grad student at the same time I was undergrad at UC Santa Barbara. Um, he already obviously had a very long history in combat robots going all the way back to the robot wars days. And he uh, had already started with uh, building a BattleBots program at UC Santa Barbara. So when you're a junior and senior as a design project, instead of, you know, building a race car or doing something like that, they actually had a system set up where you could build your own BattleBot. And that was for season three of the Comedy Central reboot. Um, some of my roommates had gotten into that and they asked me about it because I had a previous RC car experience. So they needed some help with the radio system. So I helped them out with that. And then the next season I was like, okay, I'm going to build my own. So I started building from there and it's gotten a worse addiction ever since. So <laughs> it's all Jason's fault. I yell at him often about this. Uh, yeah, no, that's completely understandable. And then you were on uh, the team for Rex, the the first season back in the reboot for ABC. Uh, what got you kind of set up with them and what did you do for that team? Yeah, so at, for the reboot seasons, um, that was Chewy. Uh, we've been friends for a long time. We build a lot for robo games. We've seen each other at the event. Um, he happened to mention that, you know, they were going to do a reboot of BattleBots. Um, so this whole team came together kind of very last minute. It was myself, um, Chewy, Bunny from Malice, Orion from Hijinks, and Dan from, uh, I think he's on Scorpios now. So, yep. Yep. So, so all of us got together. We filled out the application. We um, submitted an, an original application for something that was similar to uh, something Orion and Dan had put together, which was the Electric Boogaloo from Ro Robo Games. Uh, unfortunately, that got rejected. Greg Munson said, "You know, we want to see the advancement of technology. We want to see all the new innovations that have happened. We want to see crazy off the wall designs." So, yeah, remember when that was true? <sighs> yeah. <laughs> so, so we we submitted this idea of a gyro walker based on one of Dan's ant weights. Um, somehow we got this together in time. It weighed 250 pounds. It actually walked, which was amazing to us because it almost killed us the first time we tested it, but we're not going to talk about unsafe things. Um, <laughs> it only flipped over in the parking lot once. But anyway, uh, that's a story in a video for another day. Um, so, we got, so we got there. We competed on seasons one and two of the ABC, of a, the ABC reboot. And then after the first season... Greg was still in Alaska. Um, I mentioned to him, you know, and our other friend, Joe, hey, this is really fun. We should, you guys could, you can get back into this. Actually, Joe was also on Rex season one. Sorry, Joe. Um, wow, how forgettable. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, that was many years and many beers ago. Um, so, yeah, so we, we had talked about getting Greg uh, back into this because he was in Alaska. Um, as he said, he had six months of winter with nothing to do, so... Uh, 
we got together, we got the application together for him. I did a little bit of a CAD design for his application and he got accepted as an alternate. So that's kind of how Greg and I came back together during the reboot. That's awesome. All right. So Greg, same question to you. How did you get started in combat robotics? What, what brought this into your life? So I was part of a group that at least at the time was called the South Park newbies. Because uh, it, it BattleBots aired right after South Park on Comedy Central, so I was you know 16, I think, and it was probably I don't even remember which season I saw first. It might have been the first one, uh, but you know I watched it, fan, got excited, and then uh, really just as James can blame his whole predicament on Jason Bardis, I've got to split my blame between Christian Carlberg and Jim Smintowski and who else? There was one more big site, James. Well, it was probably also Xander and Reason, wasn't it? Mm. Well, that, that came later, but like the, the, there was a couple websites. So Christian and Jim Smetowski had some really good like how to build a robot websites. Because at that yeah. time I watched, if you had given me a battery, two wires, and a motor, I wouldn't have known how to make the motor spin. I would have just probably short-circuited the battery and burned my hand. I, I knew nothing about any of this stuff. And so, you know, I just sat there online every night reading, 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 and learning and you know, started building things with balsa wood and little hobby kind of stuff. And after enough of that, I said, okay, well, now I'm ready to build two robots. I'll build a super heavyweight and a middleweight because that's smart for the first time out. <laughs> so I went ahead and did that, showed up to season five with a super heavyweight named Little Pink Butterfly of Doom. It was painted green and black and blue steel, which had no paint on it at all. And neither worked at all. I think they were able to drive forward a little bit, not really turn. Weapons didn't work. And I had a fantastic time. It was great. Uh, so after that, then I started trying to, you know, getting into the, you know, the dark days, right? Robo games, Steel Conflict, all that. And uh, that's when I, you know, I started, you know, hooking up with Reason and Xander, who kind of took me under their wing as an idiot that would, you know, help clean up their shop. And then they teach me you know, some proper ways to build stuff. So over time, I started building robots that worked. And especially me, James and Joe kind of came together as a as a quasi team. We each had our own robots. We had team robots. And it just became a really fun thing for, for the three of us to do. And, you know, I, I do actually really miss like the three, four day weekends where you'd fight 30 minutes apart and crazy scrambles to fix your robot. Like that was really the sweet part. Over time, I, you know, I, I went off to college. I kind of lost interest, uh, you know, other priorities. And when I heard that BattleBots was back on ABC, like, yeah, I don't care. I don't, you know, I, I'm over that. And then I watched it. Like James said, dude, you should watch this. I watched it, said, hold, like, they got it back. They got variety in robots. They got robots with character. It's cool. It's fun. I'm seeing my old friends, you know, I'm, I'm you know, like, oh, okay, I got to get back into this. I, there it is. I'm, I'm hooked again. And thus became eventually Yeti. So that first season you were there with Yeti, you were there as an alternate. You had no idea if you were even going to compete. Uh, Backup alternate even, just to really rub salt in the wound. I wasn't even – there were alternates, and then I was a backup to the alternates. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, I mean – what do you think was the reasoning for you being that kind of uh, low on the on the totem pole, low on the priority list? Is it because you know Yeti essentially was like uh, a four wheel box with with a weapon at that point? Like what what was the the reasoning that you were you were in that position 
And obviously you showed up, but I know the story was you had no spares. You were just like there ready to go with a robot that worked and that was about it. Yeah. So I, I think our design was actually all right. You know, we had the kind of monster truck style, the forks. Like I, I think it stood out enough, yes. not just a box with a thing on it, which I'm basically quoting Greg Munson there, at least Greg Munson several years ago. He doesn't yep. anymore. Uh, but I, I think the problem was I didn't have much of a pedigree. Certainly with BattleBots, I didn't have a pedigree. I, right. You know, I had two glosses. Um, and, you know, I think there was a lot of people saying, hey, look, I've built smaller robots, so surely I can build big ones. And sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. So the best I had to show was 120 pound and said, yeah, here's my success with this. I want to scale it up. So, you know, it was it was OK, but they also were pretty excited about some other robots with, as James said, new technology and off the wall things that to my, you know, what helped me out a lot is they didn't work. So when they, you know, I was a backup alternate, they had, I think, four alternates and then then me. So when we got to the event, you know, we we went through safety as quickly as we could. We had the robot assembled. There were things that we needed to do. Absolutely. I mean, we barely the story of getting it running, you know, with that last frantic week was crazy. Uh, I mean, uh, 24 hours before it shipped, it was on fire and we, you know, I, I was meeting people at the airport on my way out to pick up parts. The first time the drum spun without catching on fire was in the test box. So there was a ton that we wanted to do on the robot to work on it. But after passing safety, we put the robot fully assembled and we just sat at our pit in our chairs looking bored. We just wanted to make sure everyone at BattleBots knew that like, we're just ready. We didn't want them to see us like freaking out, trying to fix or build a robot. And so while some other teams were frantically trying to like get through safety, get the robot working, we just pretended, pretended that everything was fine. <laughs> and when they came around and said, okay, these robots haven't made it. Are you guys 100% ready? We said, yeah. They said, you're in. Great. Okay, wait for it. Let them walk away. Let them walk away. Okay, go tear it apart. We got to fix this thing. We got to make it work. Full disclosure, and this is just uh, me being a full fanboy, y- you guys were straight up my favorite robot in Season 2. I loved everything about Yeti. I loved the attitude. I loved the the like the way that you guys were presented on the show where it was like, will you just smash or will you try to have a strategy? You know, like what, what what's going to happen there? I loved the way that they presented that. I thought that was so much fun. Um, so, yeah, I... I'm glad that we've got you guys on the show. I'm really happy to be talking to you. This is uh, one of the interviews that I've wanted to have for a long time. Um, so Yeti had some great showings um, in the seasons thereafter. You guys didn't make it to the COVID season, partially, I think, because of the the move to California was happening kind of at the same time. But one of the things that I think most people have talked about online this season is that you know a lot of bots missed that COVID season, and when they came back, they were behind the curve. Uh, Yeti was not. Yeti came back and you know lost your first fight, sure, had to get your sea legs under you, um, but then went out and knocked out a bot, and then had just a banger of a main event um, with Scorpios, you know, top notch bot and Scorpios. What do you attribute to Yeti's success compared to some of those other returning bots, some of those other you know old guard bots that have coming coming back from the COVID season? Um, what made you guys work so well this time? I'm surprised to hear us described as work so well after Matt Catter, but uh, yeah, <laughs> I guess a lot of luck. I mean, you know, it's it's who the matchups are. We 
we have a lot of vulnerabilities. Getty is not the the most you know optimized robot that we could think of. Like we we as a team know that if we wanted to build a robot that just wins, we build something that looks a lot like Bite Force or Endgame. We built Getty right. as a compromise because we want to have some fun. We want some individuality, and with that comes the fact that we're you know sometimes going to get tossed around and beat up by a purely optimized robot, something that's just a, a little armored vertical disc spinner. So. You know, if we had gone up against three Mad Catters, I think we would have been 0-3. Um, so some of it just comes down to the luck of the draw. Yeah, but there's also a lot of um, things that we carried over from the old robot, like the entire electrical system, you know, minus the new speed controls for the weapon, were, were brought over from previous Yetis. So that brings a lot of reliability to the table. So, you know, we can keep fighting as long as the frame and the tires stay on it. So... I think that's where a lot of other teams, you know, they try to do these big upgrades to brush those motors, spin right at the speed limit, you know, go 20 miles an hour drifting all over the box. We definitely gear a little bit lower than that and try to just work for reliability. And we have that system pretty well dialed in from previous seasons. So being able to transplant that into one of Christian's frames, which is 20% smaller and a lot more armored, definitely helped us kind of stay not too far off the back of the curve. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Um, it is the electronics that seem to be, you know, when you upgrade that stuff, that does seem to be what causes the 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 gremlins, the ghosts in the machines, if you will, to pop out and bite you. Um, interesting. Did, so Yeti had a lot smaller wheels this season. The bouncy Yeti that we saw kind of in some of the previous seasons where you would literally just go over top of uh, your opponent's there was a little bit less of that. Did you miss that in your driving style or was it a little bit better for you to be kind of closer to the ground, closer to your opponent's weapons? What was your what was your thought process when you were having to operate this bot, Greg? Well, I mean, there's been this kind of long running joke uh, with the show and, and everything about like that we have no strategy, that we just, you know, point and smash and, you know, strategy, what's that? And yeah, it's okay, it's mostly true. But so what was kind of fun this year is that I had this robot that was no longer a monster truck. It had lower ground clearance, it had, you know, forks, it, it was something that really needed to be driven uh, strategically. And so that forced me to take a different mindset and actually try to do that. And, you know, sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't, but that was just a fun, fun thing to go into actually trying to use my brain a little more than just there he is, go forward. Uh, and we talked about that. So Christian, Christian is really, really good at, you know, making things compact. So, I mean, he started off said, okay, we're going to take what you did and we're going to shrink that down to about 80% and we're going to pack it tighter and we're going to do these modular, you know, pods are going to be shock metal. Like he did a really great job with that. But what, you know, comes out of that is, you can't have three inches of ground clearance anymore if you're going to be efficient about it. And so he took an efficient road to, to building and designing, which meant I had to take a strategic road to driving. Yeah. So that brought you like a few steps closer to that optimized box, right? That optimized bot that you were talking about, the bite forces. Yeah. Um, so in, you know, like let's, let's say hypothetically here, did you enjoy getting closer to that optimized range or do, would you rather keep Yeti as much of a monster truck as humanly possible? Would you like to keep its individuality? But, or if you had the choice, um, if you, you know, knew you could be accepted and whatnot, would you want to go with that fully optimized vertical spinner? Everything is exactly tuned in where it's supposed to be. I don't want that fully optimized robot. 
I want something a little closer to season two Yeti, but I also don't want to take season two Yeti and fight Endgame. Right. So that, that's the problem. Is like I want a less optimized robot. I want something that's more geared towards, you know, a good fight. And so I would love to have that if the, the rest of the field was like that, which is how the first two, you know, ABC seasons were. But, you know, James said, like, winning is a lot more fun than losing. Yeah. And it's also a lot cheaper. When you lose, you lose a lot of money. You lose a lot of parts, damage. Uh, you know, the winner has, takes usually less damage, has less parts to replace, and they get a cash prize. The loser doesn't get a cash prize and gets a bunch of their stuff destroyed and has to replace. So losing is not very fun and it's expensive. So we have to try to balance that. Uh, as much as I would love to just bring season two Yeti and play monster truck, it's going to get annihilated in one hit by the current, you know, class of spinners. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. What kind of a rule change would you propose to like, to mitigate that or to at least, you know, offset that? I cannot count the conversations that me, James and Joe have had over beer, wings, whatever about this. And every time we think of some rule that would make BattleBots more like what it used to be, we can immediately think of the loophole and think of the, the logical conclusion of that. And that's where I had kind of given up years ago. And then ABC season one, BattleBots and, and Will Rock, whoever is responsible, they solved the problem, at least for me. They had the selection committee. They decided what robots would be in and what robots would be out. And you had veteran builders coming in saying, here's my robot. It's proven. And BattleBot said, no, we already have plenty of that style robot. Build something more interesting. And I know that kind of irks some builders, but I loved it. Like that was the answer. It was To me, it was the single greatest idea BattleBot's ever had yep. uh, from, a, from a, just enjoying it you know, perspective. And I know it meant that some people, you know, Tombstone and Minotaur got to be fully optimized robots and no one else was allowed to build just a pure drum or a pure horizontal spinner. But I don't care because the field was varied and it was fun. And that lasted two seasons, it seems. And then everyone just said, yeah, I'm going to bring a four wheel drive vertical disc now. And they said, okay, that's fine. Yeah. So the only rule change that I could come up with at this point is give everyone one single battery pack and say, do with this what you will. You're not going to have enough amps and capacity to have an end game. You know, you know, you'll if you try to spin it just that fast, it's going to be over in 30 seconds. So you need to, you know, be smart about it. Jake Ewart could take that one battery pack and use it to, you know, as a pump on his hydraulic system and still have an amazing robot. Somebody dumber like me that only knows how to make a spinny thing couldn't. That would be a great way to even the playing field. And no other builders would want that and BattleBots wouldn't want it. So why am I even talking? <laughs> I like that. What, what would you do to, to yeah. So my, so my answer is similar, but a little bit different to that. Because, yeah, the ABC seasons, it showed that you can have a diverse field if you want to. Every robot that's there every season is there because they applied and they got accepted. So if you have 20 four-wheel drive you know, aluminum boxes with vertical spinners on them. It's because they accepted all of them. Do I think that they need to cut down some of that and maybe bring in a little bit more diversity? Sure. We, they're supposed to get two to 300 applications every season. So do we need to take all of those vertical spinners? I don't know. Would I hope that they still take us? Yes, but... <laughs> 
with you know that's a, that's a, that's definitely a much harder ask when you're only going to have two of each robot type instead of ten of one and two of another. I did see an interesting suggestion uh, somewhere online where somebody was saying one of the ways you could solve this problem is by making a uh, a higher weight limit for the weapon on a vertical spinner. So if you're going to bring a vertical spinner, that's fine. But the weapon itself, the spinning mass has to be 75 pounds, which would prevent the bots from being able to optimize in other ways because they would have to put so much weight into that weapon. It would actually balance the the playing field for vertical spinners in some ways. I thought that was an interesting idea um, that would definitely get rid of Yeti though. It's definitely an interesting idea. Um, but like Greg was saying, as soon as somebody makes a rule, somebody's going to make a loophole for that rule. Yeah. So kind of trying to rules your way out of this just creates a bunch of people that play lawyer ball and are always going to be looking for the advantage, the waiver, the weight bonus, whatever it is to try to get that advantage back to them. So I don't blame them for doing that. Um, it's part of the game. It's, def- it's part of the game. So I don't blame them for trying to do that, but it's I don't think that's the right way to solve this problem if there is one. Right. And that, that's why I say that the, the selection process in the first two seasons was the single best idea that BattleBots ever had. And then they seem to have just given up on it. And it's almost heartbreaking for me. Like they've solved at least what I view as the problem. And that's, I think, the problem. Like I'm very much in the minority there. But to me, they solved the problem and said, eh, never mind. Yeah. In, in lieu of big hits, right? That was the thing they wanted. Or that was the thing that the production team decided they wanted was the big, big hits after that. Yeah, and they make for really good highlight reels, and they make me not want to spend months and thousands of dollars building, you know, an intricate robot that I'm there to to have fun with. And it, you know, I I hate the fact that there are one hit death machines right now. Like I people talk about, oh well, we've already made a, a spinner limit; it's 250 miles per hour. It should be less than half of that, in in my opinion. I would rather see a three minute brawl with parts, you know, being taken off than. I mean, what were some of like Cobalt and Ghost Raptor, right? Like those those hits I know make for good highlight reels. I just look at that and say, wow, what a waste of time. Why would why would Ghost Raptor ever want to put in the time and money to do that again? I wouldn't. Uh, I'll, I've got better things to do. Yeah, no, amen. And Chuck built, a, as, you, as you said, Chuck built a very complex machine, a very interesting and complex machine. Um, you know, the articulated arm with the spin, like the spinner on top of it. Very cool. I love the way the bot looked. And yeah, it was in pieces. And I, I realize how that, you know, that, that looks really cool for a TV show. And, you know, if we were playing with house money, this would be a different conversation. You know, if that bot was sure. funding this and paying us for our time and materials, all that. But it's not. This is a labor of love for us. All right. We put thousands or at least hundreds of hours into this some people i think really do put thousands yeah uh and absolutely tens of thousands of dollars every year and at the end of the year you throw all that in the garbage you start over again and when when that's destroyed for one highlight reel that's good tv and that's a bad hobby yeah yeah you think of somebody like triple crown you know todd's a great builder he's had great success in the past he builds something super cool super new all the wheels turn in different directions it strafes it has multiple weapons it's awesome and then he gets puts up against an undercutter, loses in 11 seconds, and gets thrown in, onto a YouTube bonus fight and never actually makes it to TV. Is Todd going to ever want to come back to this? I don't think so. Yeah. 
literally fed to the most destructive robot from last year, won the award for the most destructive robot from last year. Exactly. And that's got to be disheartening for him. Well, and you can see with, with the matchups, and I, I'll be perfectly clear here, like we, we've seen where we've had very favorable matchups. You can see when they do matchups like, oh, they put bot X against bot Y, which is the perfect counter to bot X. Huh. I guess they want bot Y to win here. Yeah. You know? And uh, yeah, so that's that's kind of our like Triple Crown, you know, could have had a better showing against a different kind of robot. But they said, ah, what's his weakness? Cool. Let's give him an undercutter. Well, you know, thanks. Screw you. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of that this season. Um, there's a lot of that, especially this season, it seems like. Interesting. Um, all right. So speaking of this season, let's talk about some of the changes that BattleBots made this year. So uh, how... Did the the shelf, the upper deck, affect your strategy going into this season? What was your thoughts on it once you actually had to fight with that thing? Um, I'm sure you were wishing you had the bigger wheels <laughs> once. No, it didn't even... So when they first talked about the upper deck, that was the thought. Like, oh, God, our old big wheels and high ground clearance, you know, do we need to go back to that? Do we need to change? And then they said, well, we'll, we'll make some ramps and make it easy to get on and off. Like, oh, well, then it's... It's nothing. It's worthless. Yeah, there, there, was, there was a good four hours of panic there where Christian was redesigning the robot, <laughs> adding big wheels, trying to morph Yeti, the old Yeti and the new Yeti together. And this was, what, four weeks before we were supposed to ship? So parts were already getting made. So, Three and a half, actually. Yeah, so we, we had to talk Christian off a little bit of a ledge there. Just be like, this is what we have. It's already been designed. We're already making stuff. We'll figure it out. So... It would have been nice to, to have that kind of ground clearance because originally there were supposed to be I-beams around the whole outside of that of that upper deck. So once you got in there via the screws, the only way out was either to go over an I-beam or back over the screws. So that definitely limited the options. Now they have you know a fairly flat area that you can drive off of most of it, and that mitigated a lot of people's fears. And, and look, I, I understand what they're trying to do, and I appreciate what they're trying to do. I, I think they are trying to mix up the game and and have make for some variety or something they're, they're trying to to change things up and i appreciate that yeah but any arena changes are only going to really you know have a good effect if they impact the design of the robots so if you made big arena changes you know like the the standard one is an uneven floor okay well now if you tell everyone that a year or out like hey you're this is going to be like a motocross kind of thing and no more flat floor all right, now you're not going to have ground scraping wedges. You're not going to have a low ground occurrence. You know, everyone's going to design around that, and it could be really cool. But if you announce that three weeks before the event, nobody has time to change the robot. All they can do is change the way they drive. You're pretty limited on what you can really do with changing the way you drive your robot because the robot's the robot. So I, I think they were going for a good effect that I appreciate, but that only works if you do it before the design phase when the robots themselves would actually be impacted. Right. Instead, just sort of this weird in the way thing that I think most people just, well, it was a smaller arena. It was almost like it didn't exist and the arena was a little small. Yeah. Back to robot. Okay. The only, yeah, the unintended consequence of that, as you're seeing, is, you know, especially horizontals and full body spinners, they get hugely handicapped. Oh, yeah. By getting caught in the corner and now the box in the middle is much smaller, so there's less room for them to spin up. So did it take the meta and make it even more meta? Yeah. Yeah. It did. Yeah. <laughs> sure did. It definitely did. Um, so speaking of that, so the the judging rubric changed pretty significantly this year. Um, 
what were your thoughts on that judging rubric change? You know, the 11 point system that we saw debuted this year. I know that, uh, that we've already had some controversy in the show, um, with, with kind of how that's all played out, but what were your thoughts going into this? What were your thoughts as far as how that played out? Obviously in your last fight, it, it worked to your advantage. I've never cared what the judging criteria is. It's not going to change the way you drive. And when you're driving in a match, you're not trying to win a judge decision. You're trying to break the other robot. And at the end of three minutes, you know, you hope you did more to win. I, no matter what the judging is, I, I can't imagine any sort of change that would really affect the way that I compete. It might just affect whether I'm happy or not with a decision at the end. But, you know, I don't really care what the rules are as far as changing how I'm going to act in a fight. Yeah, I'm laughing because Greg definitely didn't read the rules and the uh, judging criteria last season or probably any season before. So. No, no. Once when I was a judge at RoboGames, a day before the event, I actually emailed Dave Calkins and said, hey, uh, are there some, some rules I should read to know how to judge these fights? <laughs> he didn't like that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's really good. Um, all right, so let's talk about um, you know, obviously we, we've talked about what we can talk about for this season. We're going into the round of 32. Uh, congratulations. We know you guys made it. Um, but what's going to go for, like what's happening going forward for Yeti? Uh, what's happening next year for Yeti? What is happening in the future? I know you did, had some massive design changes this year. Are you considering any design changes for the next year? Are you considering coming back next year? What's, what's the plans moving forward? There, I think there are two, we have to split that answer between me, Greg, personally, and Team Yeti. Uh, okay. It's, I think it's pretty unlikely that I will want to come back. Um, I'm, I'm just not very excited. I don't like the way things are going. It's, I don't want to spend months building something to go compete with the one-hit death machines. Uh, that's just not a worthwhile endeavor to me. Uh, yeah. Another change that now we're competing in August. And this might sound weird to, you know, to some, but my big passion is, is being out on the boat and, you know, diving and spearfishing. That's a summer activity. I moved down to Southern California and there's runs of yellowtail and tuna. That's all happening in the summer. So it used to be that I was building the robot in Alaska in the winter when I needed an indoor hobby and we competed in April. That was perfect. I'd build, compete, and then I'd go on with summer. Now I've got a, you know, not go spearfishing to build a robot. And I've got to sit alone, sweating in a garage alone night after night to build this thing, you know, pouring out thousands of dollars, my money, Christian's money, James' money, everything. And then to go and compete with all these super optimized death machines. Like, well, I'm just going to go spearfish guys. Yeah. Yeah. That's understandable. Um, I, I, you know, there's, I think that there's a lot of quality talent in this show that, that are feeling the same way right now, honestly. Um, so James, what about, what about you? What are you thinking moving forward? I mean, there to address Greg, yeah, there's definitely a lot of burnout that's happening, you know, between him and other builders and, you know, other sure. people spoken privately about that. Um, we, we have been doing this for, you know, seven years, pretty much with nonstop, um, you see in the new generation come in and they're definitely very excited and very fresh with all of this. Um, we're kind of the old guard that's still trying to hang on. Um, as far as Yeti next season, uh, that depends on a lot of things. Um, 
not the least of which is money and sponsorships. Uh, like Greg is saying, these things are very expensive to compete with. And can you keep throwing, you know, the price of a new car yeah. every single season at this and come home with basically nothing? Um, our situation is also a little bit unique in that none of us live near each other. Uh, at one point, w- there were four of us living in four different states. So to get together to do any kind of building and stuff, um, somebody has to fly and to, you know, and stay for a weekend, try to get stuff done in two days, and then you go home, and then Greg's stuck in the in the garage again by himself. So, you know, Christian's in the Central Coast. Greg is a little further down. Joe's in Seattle. Um, I'm in Reno. So, it's we're all very far apart. And Angie's in San Francisco. Sorry. Um, so it's really hard to get together for build sessions and things like that. So there's certain things you can do collaboratively online, and there's some you can't because at some point the robot has to become a robot and that falls on somebody's garage. And if you're lucky, you have all the people living near each other. If not one person, unfortunately it's been Greg gets stuck in the garage doing all the work. And some of us don't even see the robot until the event. So that's a lot of uh, responsibility and time to put on one person just because of our situation. And that's a really hard thing for to ask of anybody. So with money, it buys you more opportunity to outsource more things you know, you get parts made by um, an outside machine shop, water jet company, but, and that buys you a little bit of time, but there's still, again, hundreds of hours that get put into this. And at this point, I don't know who, maybe it's Christian, uh, is, has, has the bandwidth to be able to do that because the rest of us definitely don't. Yeah. And this season, um, you know, I read a little bit of your AMA and everything, uh, Greg, you weren't even planning on competing, and uh, from what I understand, Christian asked you to help out with uh, with a bot. <laughs> Is that kind of how this got started? Yeah, I still don't know quite how that happened so smoothly because I was, I, you know, kind of like I just went, like I had no interest in coming back, and I, I had a couple teams ask if I wanted to join up with them, and that's really a, an honor to to be asked, and uh, sure, and if I still had the passion for robots, I was like, yes, absolutely. That sounds amazing. But I didn't like just a two week sweatathon of filming and all that is enough of a headache. And I just like, no, I don't, I'm sorry. I don't even want to be part of another team. Even if I don't have to pour thousands of dollars and hundreds of hours, I'd rather just not at all. But Christian asked if we would just be there for the filming, helping him out. Cause he can design and build himself. He's been doing that you know, forever. Absolutely. Uh, but we've seen them in, in years past, like, uh, you know, with, with Mecha Rampage, this, you know, giant, big, long, awkward robot. And he's there in the pits completely alone. And, you know, we'd run over and help him lift or whatever. So what he described is, Hey, I'm, I'm working on a new robot design. You guys could, you know, just help me in the pits. All right. You know what? It's Kristen Carver. I owe a lot to him. I, without his, you know, website and, and everything, I, I wouldn't, have known how to build a robot at all. So, okay. Yeah, you got it. We'll be there. Uh, and and that sounds like a lot of fun and we, we love Christian. So it's, you know, it's a good friendship. It's good everything. And then just over time, that design process said, uh, we should, we should probably just build the Yeti again. All right. And that suddenly now that it was Yeti, I, you know, we all got more involved and instead of just running the pits, suddenly that was, you know, and that was my own doing like, well, Hey, if it's Yeti, I should probably be a little more, you know, in there. And, and, uh, yeah. So then it came back to just being a normal, you know, 
Yeti season, but this time with a merged team with us and, and Christian, cool robots. Uh, and that was, I'm, I'm glad I did it, especially the Scorpios fight is, I think, the highlight of my BattleBots career, if you want to call that. Sure, yeah. But even a good experience, you know, can still lead you not wanting to do uh, another one. Yeah, and uh, Scorpios, once again, that's a that's a, a a very interesting design, a very cool design, a very niche design in the community. That's you know, uh, that's something that you you want to see. That's the type of bot that you yeah. want to compete against. And, and that's exactly the kind of fight that I want. You know, there's parts flying, but you both leave with robots that you have to repair, not replace. Right. Uh, and and I love Zach and Diana, and like I'm, I've brought my kids. Uh, there was uh, there was the event down here. I forget what it was. It was Jerry's event. Uh, and they were awesome. My, you know, five-year-old is there playing with the bot mash kits and everything. Like they're awesome people. It was just, it was just everything you could ask for. A really good fight, really good people, the right kinds of robots, the right kind of fight. Like that was, you know, a true highlight for me. Yeah, for sure. Um, I know that there was a lot of discussion and still is a lot of discussion just about the sustainability of the sport going forward. Um, for you, I know the selection committee aspect of it, you know, making sure that, that bot diversity is is tantamount to, to how they move forward and, and, you know, not just having all these one-hit kill machines out there um, is very important. What, what other changes could BattleBots make as an organization that could make this more sustainable for builders, that could make this more possible for builders, that would uh, avoid some of the like the burnout that you guys are are experiencing? You know, like that's um, it's something that as a fan you just don't want to see. You want to see the people that you you love and appreciate and you uh, really respect their work. You want to see them happy with what they're doing you you know you want to support what they're doing and and i think for a lot of us fans right now it's it's hard it's hard to watch it's hard to see what's going on well james you alluded earlier to the what we because we've talked about this the younger teams and what we saw like james if you want to go ahead I uh, yeah the younger teams they're definitely you know they're new at this but they have a lot of enthusiasm they're definitely better at social media than us better at gathering sponsors than us um it's tough because now everybody shows up with a minimum of two, probably three plus bots. I think Zach and Diana are up to seven Scorpii now. I'm not sure how many. Um, <laughs> we we have one bot with two frames. So we definitely show up with a lot less. We're a lot more budget than I think other people realize. And yeah, with that, with that lower budget means there's a lot more work because you can't just pull another robot off the truck you have to spend three days rebuilding this thing after the mad catter fight, trying to find every broken bearing, every bent axle, all that kind of stuff, and then put it back together where other people are just kind of taking it easy in the pits. They can just roll the second one out because they've already spent all their money and all their time before the event getting ready to go. And that's a lot of, you know, that, that does tend to push some builders to the burnout stage earlier in the event and, not wanting to do it again. But I, I think where where we were seeing those, like we're talking about, oh, look at how burnt out we are. We wouldn't want to come back. Surely, you know, BattleBots has to change. Sustainability, everything like you're asking. And then we look around at these, you know, new teams that are just so happy to be there. And we'll absolutely, they don't demand any changes at BattleBots. They're happy with, with what it is now. And I think there's a ton of those. So I, I think we could talk all day about how BattleBots should change to serve us, BattleBots doesn't need to change to serve us. They can 
old guys go and we'll be replaced by younger guys that are happy. Right. You know, it's like, yep, $50,000 a year. We'll build four robots. Yay. We can't wait as long as we can be on TV. And they're like, okay, that's rude. Uh, as long as we can be and have fun. And, you know, and they are having a blast. So like, why should BattleBots or anybody care what old bitter people like me think? Because you've got, you know, a, a fresh wave of people that are going to come and build and compete. So I don't think BattleBots has any incentive to, to change. Uh, yeah, that's a good point. Like we were alluding to earlier, they're, you know, they're getting 200 plus applications every season. So do they care if they lose one or two of the old vets when they can bring in, you know, new people that are willing to go with what the contract is now? So, you know, I miss Paul, I miss Bite Force. We're two seasons out from that. People still ask where Bite Force is, but yeah, I don't know if the ratings have changed right. a huge amount because he's not there. That's a hard thing to quantify. Well, and you know, to that point, they still own the intellectual property in a lot of ways too. They can still use those images. They can still use that that name if they need to. So, like, um, how much of a loss is it for them for for Bite Force to not be there too? I mean, okay, now we have Orange Bite Force. You know, we have Kiwi Force. Kiwi Force. <laughs> But hey, on that intellectual property, don't worry, we get our cut. I get a check for like $14 every year for my cut of t-shirt sales. So, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, uh, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. Um, <laughs> did you happen to, uh, to make it into the, uh, the slot machine this year? No, no, we, we don't make it into anything. We, we don't have a toy that, uh, yeah, I, I want a toy just cause I got kids that like the BattleBots toys. No toy, no slot machine, nothing cool. But Hex, you're listening next season, Rivals Pack, Yeti and Scorpios. Didn't I just say I'll never be back and I hate BattleBots? We can edit, we can edit that part out. Wait, can I wreck on that? I love BattleBots, and I'll be back every year. Textbook, listen to that part, not the other part. (laughs) (laughs) I just want a toy, so that way when I'm an old man, I'm walking through an antique store, I see one in the dollar bin and go, I used to make that. Yep. That would be cool. Uh, my kids would play endlessly with a Yeti toy. I would say that. that um, and quite frankly, so would I. Um, plus, you know, you got the arms. There's definitely two two weapons there that you could use with those new controllers and the hex bugs. Uh, yeah, we were a little excited when they brought out the sawways and whiplash. Because like, uh, we always talk like, now nah, we, have, we have two weapons. They're not going to do that. Then they brought out those like, there's a chance. But yeah, it's not going to happen. <laughs> It might, it might. Um, no, that's fair. That's fair. No, they, yeah. So that being said, so you've got the the round of thirty two next. You've got uh, we've got the the yet to be announced bounty hunters for the rest of the season. Um, what do we have to expect for the rest of the season going forward? Obviously, don't spoil anything for us. But uh, if you could give us kind of a loose impression, right, of uh, of what we're going to see going forward in this season, what. What's some some vague words you could give our audience? James, I'm at a loss here. Airtime. Airtime, there you go. <laughs> Bots will be thrown very, very high. Sometimes it's us, sometimes it's other people. Yeah. Um, I, I continue to try to be a strategist. Uh, see if I can. I like that. I like that. Um, I know you can't really speak for Christian, but going forward, do you think he's uh, do you think he's interested in working on one of those designs he was possibly talking to you guys about, or do you think he's committed to the to the Yeti brand now? 
I don't know. Christian, I think, still has the bug, uh, and he's still an amazing designer. He can sit down on SolidWorks in an evening and bust out something that I couldn't get to in, in a year. Uh, so I know his mind is still on it, and he's been kicking around you know, upgrades to, to Yeti. Maybe he'll think about some different things. I, I think there's a very good chance that Christian will be back. I wish he could have joined us tonight. Unfortunately, uh, he couldn't, so I will just speak for him. Uh, but just don't trust me on anything. <laughs> I think he's going to want to keep, keep going. Uh, and he, you know, he's in a different stage of life too. Like his, his kids are a lot older. Like right now I'm, I'm drowning. My day to day is, is just chaos. I have a four and a six year old. Yep. So yep. between day job and kids and trying to get to my outside hobbies, the idea of designing and building another robot, like, Oh God. Uh, Christian is, is a little more, you know, he's, he's at an easier stage. He doesn't have, you know, five temper tantrums today that I'm dealing with. So I, I think he is feeling better about the whole thing and we'll probably continue to design something. If that'll be Yeti or something else, I, I don't know. That's cool. I would like to see that for sure. Um, well, fellas, I really appreciate your time this evening. Thank you so much for talking with us about all things Yeti, uh, the state of BattleBots, the state of combat robotics, if you will. Uh, we look forward to seeing you guys into the round of 32. And, uh, you know, maybe, maybe we'll see you guys past that. We'll see. Well, thanks very much, especially accommodating the time zone problem for anyone listening. You had to stay up super late for us because we're West Coast and I asked for it to be really late. So thank you very much. I have a five-year-old and a seven-year-old and I fully and completely understand your situation. So don't you worry about that. <laughs> All right. Thank you guys so much. We'll talk to you again soon. Awesome. It was great talking to you. After the break, we'll return with this week's installment of Robots Around the World. Welcome back from the break. Time for Robots Around the World. This week, we're traveling underground where researchers at GE have built a flexible robot designed to crawl through pipes and feel its way around using cockroach-like whiskers. The robot, named Pipeworm, <clears throat> is designed to navigate pipes on its own and autonomously clear blockages, also known as fatbergs. Thank you so much, Curtis Honeycutt, for sending us this horrifying story. I have not been able to stop thinking about it for the past week, and it is terrifying. Um, uh, you know, fun fact about me, I absolutely hate cockroaches. Obviously, who doesn't? But when I lived in New York City, we had them for a period of time in my apartment. And uh, I actually had to rename them to Marshmallows. Because uh, that was like a less threatening word for them. So I, uh, yeah, I really don't like them. And the thought of robot cockroaches, somehow even worse. But then when you take robot cockroaches trying to break up fatbergs, it's just like so many layers of gross. But I guess, you know, someone's got to do it and it might as well be a robot for this particular task. So there you go. This this robot just makes my skin wriggle. Oh, so hold on, this there's something that we're missing here. Why are they called fatbergs? Ah, I, now this is something I know a little bit about. I was a resident of of New York City, uh, and you know we uh, the the lovely folks that I shared the city with. We all share a sewer system, um, and you know 
what was it about maybe a decade ago was the uptick of the uh, the moist towelette as a bathroom accessory. And um, really what these things are is they're just kind of uh, fancy, squishy dryer sheets that don't necessarily break down in water. And so what happens uh, uh, is these, um, the, these kind of cloth-like uh, sheets, uh, they kind of collect with one another, get entangled, uh, and eventually clump together. And it looks very similar oh, to like a, a gelatinous uh, bubble of fat. And some of these fatbergs <laughs> under New York City could be like the size of a vehicle. And they actually had to get in there with like blow torches, flamethrowers, and like, and try to burn out the fatbergs um, because there's no easy way to extract them. Oh, you don't get this kind of content on the Robocast. <laughs> <laughs> People keep coming back to us and talk about cockroaches and literal sewer fatbergs. <laughs> and the robots that destroy them all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you're welcome. And this is free. Can you believe it? You get this podcast for free. <laughs> I like the concept for this worm robot. I think it's really down to earth. Uh, and that's about it for us today. <laughs> <laughs> No. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, uh, what, what kind of what kind of music are worms into? No. I, I have no idea. Mostly, mostly underground stuff. <laughs> and that's about it for us today. <laughs> we'll be back in your feed next Wednesday with another Wrigley guest. <laughs> Uh, yeah, don't forget to compost and remember that, uh, flushable doesn't mean flushable. Okay, bye. Hold on, Kyle. We have to thank Nicole for editing this week's episode. And we're also going to throw a big uh, shout out. Thank you to Nelly, the Ellie's bot captain, Sarah Mollian for providing our amazing outro music. We'll see you next week, folks. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. There once was a bot who's from the sea. The name of the bot was the Kraken of Teeth. The lights went up the Two weeks from shore, when out did come her metal jaw, the captain called all hands and swore he'd take that spinner in tow. <gasps> Soon may the spinner man come to knock her teeth right from her gums. One day when the fighting is done, she'll take.